OMG, it's the POK at HTAP. Uh, this is what a young person would say if this was their podcast. Unfortunately, it's mine, and I'm very old. I'm Toby Haydock. I'm watching Doctor Who. I'm accentuating the positive, and I'm seeing if I can guess my guests' favourite things about their chosen story. Hello, my name is Ian Winterton. I'm a playwright and writer and journalist, and I am picking The Power of Kroll from 1978. Well, welcome back. Previously on Happy Times and Places, I was in neither. I'm having a rotten day, but I'm not going to be... This isn't a, a are you okay, hun, thing. I, I just have to be honest with you, see where I'm coming from. And I seem to recall I was... Uh, doing the same in the previous Happy Times and Places for the Curse of Peladon. I don't know, I'm sorry, but there we go. Um, because I think sometimes it's important to point out that although I try, I accentuate the positive and want to celebrate Doctor in these podcasts, the, that I'm I'm not a natural ray of sunshine, do you know what I mean? Because I think we hate happy, clappy people more than we hate miserable people. Don't worry, I'm hugely miserable. Um, I just try not to inflict it on anybody else. But um, uh, I, I think it was important context to explain. Uh, I was supposed to be doing, uh, I'd actually got a few new series ones lined up, but uh, the older series, Classic Who, is, is more, the facts are more com- comfortably lodged in my brain for starters but also they are a bit it is a bit more of a comfort blanket so I'd not intended to do the curse of Peladon, which I did last time not a particular favorite story of mine adored uh I certainly hadn't intended to do the power of Kroll but the beauty of Doctor Who is whatever mood you're in there's a Doctor Who story to suit your mood and for some reason I decided what I wanted to watch today was The Power of Kroll. And fortunately, in my bank that I've got of several very kind people who've been very patient, who are probably hoping that they will live to see the day that their Happy Times and Places is released, amongst them Ian, who I don't, I'm not, I don't actually really know, um, but expressed an interest in the podcast, uh, has done you know loads of interesting work that is well worth you checking out. And uh, wanted to talk about the power of Kroll. So what the hell? And that's what I'm going to do now on this gloomy afternoon uh, 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 where I'm beset with a tax bill, a washing machine and, and a two-pronged attack of rejection. Ha ha ha. So uh, it's all going to be cured by the power of Kroll. Uh, <laughs> so uh, uh, the, the, tax bill, <laughs> the washing machine's made a one-man whip. Uh, and the power of Kroll is going to make the same man sing. Um, I, I must now stop doing the Huey Lewis thing. Right. Um, episode two of the power of Kroll. I've got it, uh, uh, I think, about to kick off on uh, the old Brit box in three, two, one. Um, <laughs> sorry. Yes. Uh, we. L- 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 you don't need to know. Uh, what, uh, did you hear Alexa then? That was just Alexa telling me that she was playing from Sausage Magoo, which is what we call... Uh, you don't need to know the pet names we have. The, there's a room over there called Tim, because um, we didn't want to call it the back room because it was going to be an extension, so it wouldn't have been at the back anymore. So she said, what, what, what's a good name? What, what's another name? And I said, Tim, and it sort of stuck. We even had the builders going, uh, we've left the ladders in Tim. <laughs> so um, I'm quite chuffed about that. Anyway, so here we have the green swampies. And, and of course... Um, I did actually get a letter from John Abenary. Uh, I'd mostly written to him about Fury from the Deep because uh, that was missing and so therefore the best one. Um, uh, uh, but he said the most hilarious shoot was as King of the Swampies. Uh, and of course there's uh, 
you know, all those stories of them having to go to a nearby um, RAF base, American RAF base, and uh, scrub off. Which sounds really painful. Scrub it. I'm not. Would you be? No, because I still I still know fairly awful stories about there's so much sort of safety and uh, care taken of actors in in various circumstances but when it comes to getting makeup and masks and things off quickly it's on pull it off uh and oh gosh uh it's not always like that I've, i have quite sensitive skin and people have always been very very nice and always asked but um uh i, I you know it's not unusual to see actors with half of their face been torn off and i suspect that green stuff was uh but it's a good look i mean it it shouldn't quite work you know the you know little green men is a cliche isn't it so green the color for monsters is green but the color for humanoid monsters uh or or, or hu- you know is it's not you'd expect a bit you know a bit of latex or a bit of a bit of scaling or something to give the no these are people who've got green skin and i actually think it kind of works but and here we have a joke. The cliffhanger was a gag. It's a man in a terrible monster costume. And you go, well, we've seen plenty of those in Doctor Who. No, Scott is basically... <laughs> he looked more convincing from the front. <laughs> but then that ties into that. So do, do monsters in Doctor Who, in the Doctor Who universe, look like men in terrible costumes? Because Romana was, was, was fooled by the... Um, Scarts, uh, I was the definitive crawl. Um, but of course, uh, so it's 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 a good gag of going. Well, a Doctor Who cliffhanger is usually the, the companion being threatened by a man in a ropey costume, uh, and and the resolution is actually this time it turns out to be a man in a ropey costume. Uh, I I like that. Uh, that they they hung about on that that reaction shot of the Doctor and Romana quite a long time, didn't they? Um, and and here's this now i think this is all quite you know in another universe this is like uh the the bit in Earthshock in episode one which i think is cracking when uh you've got steve morley as as walters just looking at lights going out and going this is terrifying uh which is sort of very alien and aliens isn't it uh you know people you know people's signals vanishing or people being picked off in the dark and and this is uh this is there's something going on on the screens. We can't see what it is, but the but the the signals are suggesting it's something gigantic. And this, I mean, this is great writing. You know, this is uh, these. You know, turn the lights down a little bit. Beads of sweat here. This is somebody seeing something that is not only perplexing, but if if what they're being told is correct, this is terrifying. It doesn't quite come across like that in the episode, and we will examine why. I love all this stuff at night. This is really, this is, you know, this is very convincing, and the actors are the actors are doing a nice job. Um, and of course, this is this is nice for Rome Dutt because in terms of uh, action, although he's just done what I call an Aiden nearly. Uh, Aiden is the guy in the Keys of Marinus who gives himself away by going, but that wasn't what the plan was. The plan was to do this. Uh, and everyone's, duh. Uh, oh, doesn't one of the monoids do it as well? He goes, oh, I don't think that'll be a problem. Uh, what? No, nothing. Um, and he's just done a, but that wasn't the plan. Oh, hang on. Uh, I, I mean, what's that over there? Is it a spaceship? Um, um, so he, he, but he needed to do that so that, we were uh 
tipped off that he is up to no good. Now, you, I, I think you could have been slightly less on the nose. Um, but it's a nice... It's 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 a nice sort of character dynamic that you've got this shifty character, who you know he's not quite right because he's a gun runner for starters, and also because I, I I like the way that Carl Rigg, who I think is excellent throughout this as Valik, sort of you know he's really holding his stare there, and and, he, and he's and he's constantly sort of reminding Rome Dutt, we're not thick, you know. Um, uh, but I, you know, but I, I buy this shiftiness from Rome Dutt going, yeah. But I'm, I'm just the, I'm just the guy that brings you the weapons. I don't expect to fight, which is reasonable. But actually, the, that's not the reason he doesn't want to be there. The reason he doesn't want to be there is because he's double crossed them. So that's great. So he's in a spot now, and I like that sort of d- double crossedness, d- double cross. Double crosser being double crossed, uh, or, or it's, it's actually circumstance that's double crossed him, really. Um, uh, uh, so every, you know, every everyone's working to their own. Nobody's very nice in Robert Holmes scripts. I, I hope Robert, Ho- Robert Holmes. I don't think anybody that I was going to say. I don't think anybody that funny can can be not very nice. I know a lot of people are funny who actually aren't very nice. Uh, so that's not necessarily true. But I think Holmes's humour is so based in the... F- he, he treats the f- people's flaws um, so even-handedly. Uh, I, I, I think, I think he's, he's too f- forgiving or too amused by our shortcomings to, to have been nasty. Uh, I uh, and I get the impression he was a you know a hugely intelligent, uh, witty sort of fellow. Would have loved to have had the pleasure. Uh, I think uh, I think you know I th- I think I don't know why when he was alive we didn't kind of distill everything we we knew about him. He gave gave a few interviews, but not nearly so many uh, as as would have been handy to have come from a person that that that, that I think I think of the classic series understood doctor who better than anybody uh, in terms of as 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 just how to just how to do the nuts and bolts of making a doctor who script sing uh you know even even when it's a story that and you know no the power of crawl's not ever going to be anybody's favorite story but uh and i think we sometimes lazily go oh, that's because robert holmes wasn't having a good day really i don't know i don't know that there's not enough in this that sorry norman stewart with a with a uh, who i don't think does a particularly awful universally awful job either um as i say sometimes the alchemy just doesn't happen but i think what robert holmes has provided uh you know could could have could have produced an awful lot now i i know and i think don't they in the discontinuity guide when uh uh John Leeson has the line, it hasn't moved for 15 minutes. They say it, it could, they could be talking about the plot. But, but the, okay, this, this isn't plot, but this is tension, which is perfectly acceptable in Doctor Who. There's an old episode of Earthshock that is just tension, and I wouldn't change it for the world because it's well done. Dra- drama isn't necessarily just about plots un- un- unfolding. Uh, you know, it, it is an exercise in you know, atmosphere as well as action, taste, character development um you know all you know yeah storytelling um but but you know this is this is 
this is great. They're, 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 you know, they're looking at their instruments and going, we can't understand what's going on here. Uh, but what it, whatever, it, if, if these instruments aren't broken, there's something really big. Uh, but, and, and, and Maddox, if, if everyone was doing what Philip Maddox's doing, these scenes would be rich with tension. Uh, and John Leeson, of course, is playing. Uh, now, you, see, John Leeson there has a line saying, "If if he's got friends, there, we're in trouble." This is I'm gonna. This is gonna be awful. That this I love John uh, Leeson. I love Canine. I think John Leeson is a witty, genial man. He's lovely to talk to. Uh, I think the character he invests Canine with uh, helps to make Canine something very special. I think he's terrible in this i think he delivers every line which should be sweaty tense oh my god you know if, if your friend's done that we're in we're in trouble as though that it's the sort of trouble that happens if you haven't got enough paper doilies for the village fate it's it's like it's 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 as if it's as if the the biggest level of tension that is ever going to occur here uh, is is uh, is a, the slight misplacement of an itinerary. <laughs> now it was originally, and the Sons of Earth. This is this is the, the, you know, they're um, you know they're being set up as as characters, you know, off off stage. They've been mentioned a few times, but they're they're working away behind the scenes to give um, people reasons to do or not to do things. That's a nice the way that the camera closes in there on uh, on Neil McCarthy as he takes the gun and goes off and he doesn't actually Neil McCarthy doesn't do anything wrong I atrociously writ it's the holy trit it's it's a holy writ it's atrociously writ is a terrific line that I love uh, uh, from morning noon tonight um, uh, sucker marks yeah so um, and this is this is because you know, it's not just that uh, there's a there's a big monster. It's that the big monster is easily dismissed within the story as a myth because it's in this big old book. Uh, and actually, we've seen the big old monster, and it turns out it's a priest carrying on that myth. And this story has a lot to say about religious manipulation. But just in the storytelling of telling the monster story, the monster is a myth. This giant monster. And it's had three manifestations. I like the momentum of that. You just go, oh, it pops up every now and again in the centuries. Uh, uh, but then that goes to the science. Oh, yeah, if something's massive, it needs to sleep for a couple of hundred years. Okay, I like that. That makes sense within this world and the science or whatever. Um, and due for his... F and something about it being a, you know, a, a fourth manifestation, as I say, that momentum... That, that tying it in with ancient myth, a, an ancient myth being fulfilled, even though we know ancient myth is kind of bunkum, but it gives it, it, it gives it a bit more momentousness because of the momentum, because of the inheritance, you know, because of its tying in with the past and because it's debunking of one, the, re the religious aspect of it, but also our poo-pooing in our rational world that there's a giant squid god well there is a giant just a giant squid uh and the reason we haven't seen it is because 
it's been asleep, but actually there's enough going on now that might wake it up again. So I, I think all of that plotting and the way it ties in with the, the Swampy's religion and, of course, the production of the methane, which, which is what keeps the plant going, I think that is all really, really neatly pieced together in, in the jigsaw of the power of Kroll. And, and of course, we haven't discussed how uh, the story being about methane production is basically it's a story about fart harvesting, uh, which uh, I say for no other reason. I'm not, I'm not really a fart joke kind of guy, but there we go. Uh, uh, so there's Terry Walsh fulfilling his contractual obligation. I would have expected a slightly better stunt than that, I have to say, because um, he sort of just falls slightly out of shot. I wanted to see Terry Walsh being pulled under the Kudos to John Abenary and Carl Rigg there. Uh, John Abenary throws himself gallantly into the I'm a religious idiot worshipping a giant squid well painted green. I've got an Emmy nomination, you know, what the hell am I doing? Uh, and Carl Rigg uh, slash Varlick does the brilliant thing of Varlick saves uh, Rankin and goes, never mind worshipping the squid god. I really like Varlick as a character and I really like the way Carl Rigg plays him. Never mind your squid god, mate. That, that bloke with the hat's double-crossed us and that's a nice... Uh, you know, that's a nice twist that the guns are... I'm sure in the book it's that the guns are deliberately doctored in order to kill the Swampies, whereas here I think they just go, oh, they're a bit corroded and a bit knackered. Or it could be that I misinterpreted the book when I was younger uh, and, and last time I watched it, it was like, oh, it's not, it's not, as, it's not as obvious, it's, it's, it's not as um, contrived malfeasance as that. It's, it's just that they're, yeah, they're substandard guns rather than that they're deliberately sabotaged. Look at Maddock. Look at Maddock. Dripping with ominousness and menace. Uh, uh, but that's why it's it's quite nice when later, you know, Thorne comes up with the idea, doesn't he, of, of killing them all. And Fenner, even though he's going, they're savages and who, you know, who cares? We've, we've got to do... I'm, I'm, all, I'm all about the progress. When he's like, I think we'll just... When Thorne's like, I'm going to kill them all. Fenner's like, oh, oh hang on. Um, which, is, which is surprising but it makes sense. Anyone, anyone can suddenly go, oh, hang on, we're going too far. Um, and and Maddox's Maddox such a convincing character that I, that I buy it, but it, at, least it, at least it means they're not all, you know, they're not all just, let's, let's just wipe out the Swampies because we're, we're cardboard sort of racists, as it were. See, I, 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 again, he can just make the word no speak volumes. Uh, poor old Graham Mallard here, who uh, has a very 70s haircut, um, He's he actually quite sexy in Colditz, where he's playing a German officer in a leather jacket and uh, and uh, and slick back hair. Uh, and I was quite surprised to see him in that, looking quite as handsome as he is, because he looks a bit like a, cl a clown in this, because he's got... 70s hair is not... Got, and I say that as somebody that for these videos, for these things, I don't do anything with my hair, and it's a bit, a bit wild, because I'm clinging on to what's left on top. But 70s hair doesn't do many people many favors especially not in a sort of workplace do you know what i mean that's all right all very well in a green room or in carnaby street or whatever but uh, you're, you're you're in a you're in a you're a refinery that that perm could get caught in the machinery um so i was quite surprised when i saw him in in Colditz and he and he, and he immediately looked like a better actor um because 
I feel a bit sorry for him. He's he's one we've never quite. Tra- well, I sort of vaguely know where he is. I think, but nobody's ever interviewed him. Um, we really, I mean, we've always really struggled to get people for the Power of Crow. I mean, there's no there's no making of on the DVD, is there? And I think they did try, and they basically went, "Shall we just interview Philip Maddock? Because um, he's he's because uh, we've got uh, we've got uh, Mary and John Leeson on the commentary. Um, uh, because McCarthy's dead, um, John Abenaria died, uh, Glenn Owen's dead, um, Frank Jarvis is dead. F- uh, now, you see, um, I just got all dad's army then, didn't I? He's dead. He's dead. Um, the, the, uh, the only thing, I love all of this stuff, but th- what's slightly spoiled it is that they're going, oh my God, there's this giant squid. Is We know because they're, they're not telling us anything we don't already know. Which is a shame because you sort of almost wish he'd been able to contrive it by going, "What's this giant squid-shaped thing? Oh my God! Is the is the myth of Kroll a reality?" And and then we see the squid as it is. We've seen Kroll, uh, and now they're seeing a computer readout of Kroll and going, "Yeah, yes, it's that's the thing you've al- already seen." Um, but I like the fact that, yeah, it's the refinery raising the lake temperature uh, and the noise and all of that, which has roused Kroll, uh, which uh, I, and I, lo- I love. I love all of this stuff that these actors are, 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 are I, th- I think, are, that's just really funny. The, <laughs> that, that's a great sort of, you know, big me up, big me up, big me up. I think John Avenue is just really funny the way he goes. And he does all those brilliant hand movements, which are such terrible cliches, but he's doing them on purpose, knowing that they're cliches. And you'll wish that you've died on the stone of blood. That's, that's, that's almost a, now they don't mean, he doesn't mean the stones of blood. I love these hand movements that he does. Um, it's, they're very funny. It's deliberately funny, but he's not, but he's not winking at the audience. Uh, he he knows, and we know that he knows, but to all intents and purposes, he's doing a perfectly proper job. Um, uh, but but this this stuff's all a bit touchy. Two two good actors stuck against a very tatty wall, uh, and Maddox just gone. I'm just gonna behave as if I've got I've got wind. It's a story. It's the, it's the methane. I've got trapped wind, so I'm furious. Um, but but yeah, Scott says you wish you died on the stone of blood. Now the stone of blood is obviously the place in in the temple, um, but it's also the stones of blood is is the title of one of the earlier stories of the season. Um, uh, so is that the only time somebody's referred to something in a story that could also refer to a previous doctor? Not only as a you 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 wish you had uh, died in the inferno. Do you mean the nightclub or the uh, the drilling operation? Either. Um, <laughs> Uh, you wish you'd been scratched by a talon of Wang Chiang. Um, this is the line. He's, he's going to get us all killed. Oh dear. I mean, and that would be hugely inconvenient. The vicar would be... I mean, imagine if he got us all killed when the vicar was coming round for tea and the Women Institute had already booked the marquee. <laughs> I mean, uh, it, it really needs... I mean, Martin Jarvis, I think, would have probably underplayed it and probably wouldn't have done the dramatic reading of that line. But I think it still would have had the weight and the gravitas that I'm afraid lovely John Leeson does not have and in, and in fact undermines with his 
rather too literal uh, reading of of, of, yes. of the lines. I say, I, I I love the way that Varlik is with uh, with with Rom Dutt here, and and you know this smacks in the face. Oh, the swamp is a idiots. You know, Varlik is who's crucially the. Well, oh, him and Scart survived, don't they? But 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 Varlik, you know, is a sign that, you know, these these people have survived for a reason. They're not daft, and actually, you can worship a giant squid and be capable of reason and understanding characters and motives and all of that sort of thing. And and it's, uh, you know, I think it's better than than we might actually give it credit for. Uh, and 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 and. Um, Carl Rigg also does contract some of the language as well, uh, which I think suggests, you know, again, because they could be sort of staccato, monosyllabic, you know, cod savages, which would be embarrassing and, and bad. And John Abeneri, of course, has the great, he's doing all the liturgical stuff. So he, he speaks in a certain formal sort of priesty way, which works for, you know, for the for the tribes person thing and for the religious thing. Whereas, whereas, um, Carl Riggers Valik is a is a yeah is a, is a is a bit more modern, and I think he's got a, a sort of steely mistrust about him that I really like. Um, uh, <laughs> but he's also got a bit of a he you know he has a bit of a rapport with with Rome Dutt. It's like he was Valik was the one that Rome Dutt hung around with. Um, I also uh, a credit to Mary Tam's costume. I think uh, I think that's absolutely fabulous. And I love all the stuff about the seven holy rituals, and that's that's only three. Uh, so many lovely lines in this, actually. Uh, and of course, yes, because the Doctor and Romana are behind as well, because they still haven't. I uh, yeah, I, I suppose it's important that the that the plot has a slight problem here, because it's important that the Swampies have seen Kroll, in order that they're ahead of everybody, because they've seen Kroll, but the Doctor hasn't, Romana hasn't. The guys in the, uh, 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 oh, the guys in the refinery have now, but it, it just means the the place, the big reveal, which would be amazing, isn't as much of a big reveal because for the plot we've had to already have had the big reveal. So it's just I, I don't know how he could have resolved it. I don't think he could have done. But it, I mean, I think it's a, a shame. But I do absolutely love that whole sequence. Uh, and I used to watch it over and over again, actually, when I first got it on video. I loved the closing moments of this episode where where there's just something very Doctor Who-y to me. I mean, gosh, uh, John Abeneri having done Last of the Mohicans, he's also doing a story where there's some noise in a pipeline and uh, something, something uh, uh, a thumping noise in a pipeline and, uh, and something emerges from the water to suck people in, uh, which, seeing as he was in Fury from the Deep, he must have just spent the whole of... Uh, the power of Kroll having a bit of uh, deja vu. I wonder if he ever woke up all green as well. Um, so look, uh, I but yeah, I love I I I love that. Oh, there's something in the pipe. I'm having a listen. What what is that noise? Uh, and then the bursting of the. It's very Doctor Whoy to me, even though it's not a thing that happens massively often in Doctor Who. I do like a tentacle. I do like, and I associate t tentacles with Doctor Who. Uh, 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 and a and a good tentacle. Um, and that's a pretty good tentacle. You know, it may not be the best tentacle. There's a pretty good one in Seeds of Doom, isn't there? I think it's better than the spearhead tentacles. Shall we have a tentacle lead table? Send in your your tables of, of the best and worst tentacles of Doctor Who. There's one in Nightmare of Eden, isn't, he? isn't there? The one that the Doctor bites. Um, 
But I, I, I like the tentacle bursting uh, from the the pipe and uh, pulling Harg in. I think that's a great that's a great cliffhanger, and of course it ups the 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 you know Kroll is not only on the move; he's now you know he, he can now pop up anywhere. Um, so what's my favourite thing about episode two, though? I, I think it could be that cliffhanger, which I really like. Uh, it could be, you know, the the the, the swampies, and uh, I mean, I've already picked an actor, but I, I do love John Avenary, and I do love um, Carl Rigg, and and actually, you know, the fact that Scart, the 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 sort of least important of the the swampies, is played by Frank Jarvis, who is another of those very recognisable character actors. I remember a friend of mine had watched The Knowledge, um, and there's a scene with Frank Jarvis, Nick Stringer. And one other, uh, I can't remember who it was now. And and my mate said, "Oh, and those three blokes in that scene, you could—they're the, just those three blokes that were in everything, weren't they?" And I was like, "Yeah, you've recognised that's a Nick String and never did a Doc Two, but he's another of those great sort of regular faces." I was very pleased when he became a regular in the bill. Um, Frank Jarvis, you know, I, I saw him crop up in a uh, Juliet Bravo the other day where he had about three lines, but then in other stuff, he's you know he's you know a solid guest leader and he, he's in the Italian job as well. And he did he got an obit in the Guardian actually, so well done. I think Gavin Gorn wrote that. Well done for getting him that because I've just struggled to get to to, to get two in for um, for people who I would say had you know uh, better better claims really. But it's a crowded market now. Um, uh, uh, and Frank Jarvis, of course, Doctor Who fans, is in. Uh, he's the captain in the War Machines, which I have already done, uh, and he's got a bucket on his head in Underworld. So he has had quite an interesting Doctor Who career. So again, he's one of those names that you know that was 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 bouncing about uh, on screens and in print in my youth, uh, and and he was even in Catterick, wasn't he? The Vic and Bob thing. So yeah, really interesting uh, career. But Gary. Gary Russell told me an interesting story about Frank Jarvis, but it's Gary's to tell, not mine. Uh, anyway, um, what's my favourite thing about episode two? I think, I mean, I think the much maligned Kroll model is very good as well. I think the problem with Kroll is... is you know what what is what has been chronicled is that martin patmore the cameraman was given the wrong advice and he and he masked off the camera so then they had no choice but to have that sort of line on the horizon but it's actually not as bad as you think if you did it now you'd have different levels you know so that it would be it would not be you know that the, the horizon was just this sort of cut flat line but i i don't I, I remember reading about how bad it was and then seeing it and going well no i can sort of see what they've done there there are worse effects in doctor who. and actually the kroll model i think is absolutely superb um but i think for episode two i will choose the cliffhanger I will choose the cliffhanger. Uh, and uh, I've got Rankin and Kroll in uh, in my back pocket because I may need them later. Uh, but let's see. Let's see uh, what Ian has chosen. For episode two, um, it's got to be the fact that we just see Kroll on the horizon. Um, it looks... Not like the best special effects right now, um, but um, six-year-old me was absolutely enthralled and terrified, and it's uh, and in a weird way, I still think it stands up for the you know crawl looks pretty good. 
just the uh, maybe it's maybe it's the absolute straight line of the horizon that lets it down a little bit. But yeah, crawl. I can uh, I can just remember it so clearly. Yeah, I mean that's pretty much exactly what I said, and then I chose something else. <laughs> it's one of those days. Yeah, it is. Damn, because I was expecting to. I don't know why I thought he might choose that latest thing. Is that was the first time we saw Crow. It is a really, really good model. I, I still think the best thing about that is the way that John Abenary throws himself on the ground in front of it, though, <laughs> and then and then Farley grabs him and goes, "Stop! Stop worshiping the squid. We've got things to do." Um. Uh. It's funny because I think when I was young, well, the first time I saw this, I wasn't that interested in the Swampies. I thought they were quite boring. It was only when I got the joke that I liked them a bit more. Uh, anyway, Kroll is a perfectly good choice and it is not what I chose. So um, surprise, surprise, uh, I'm, I'm not doing very well um, in, uh, in, in my choice of things. Um, but, you know. That's that's to be expected because the odds are hugely against me. But actually, the odds are hugely against a Doctor Who fan enjoying the power of Kroll, if you look at its place uh, in the rankings, even in the season that it's in. But I am thoroughly enjoying it. I'm enjoying Ian enjoying it. And I'm hoping that if I do some good today, it's to it's that a power of Kroll doubter will uh, look at it uh, and perhaps... Look at it with a little bit of affection, because then something unloved and unwanted, and I'm not talking about me here. <laughs> it's currently how I feel. Yes, in honour of that, something as unloved and unwanted as the power of crawl, that somebody somewhere sees some value in it. And we'll leave that metaphor there. Goodbye. <laughs> Well, thank you very bloomin' much for listening to Happy Times and Places, which is presented by me, Toby Haydoke. My special guest this time around is Ian Winterton, who can be found on Twitter at Ian Winterton, and his website is ianwinterton.co.uk. He's made both of those things very easy. Thanks, too, to the many patrons who make these podcasts possible, and they include John McClay, Ross McPhillips, Stuart Mitchell, Nathan Moore, Matthew Newton, Dave Owen, Melvin Pena... Keith Piddy, Jonathan Potter, Kevin Parker, Richie, I don't know your surname, Richie, you can uh, give me it if you'd like, Dylan Reese, John Rivers, Jim Sangster, Matt Sawyer, Keith Say, Stephen Smith, Len Stewart, Neil Tate, Nick Temple, Sabrina Terabassi, Reynard Toombs, David Trainier, and Apollo C. Vermouth. The music for these podcasts is by Dave Gates, and the artwork by Dylan Patterson. Well, if you would like to join that list of names, some of which were false names, did you notice? Because some people just simply don't want to admit to, to being uh, the financial backing for an anthropomorphized anorak, which is what I am. And you can hear more of my ramblings at patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydock, where for as little as £3 a month, but you needn't limit yourself to that. You could go up to a million pounds a month if you like, uh, and you'd still get a 10% discount if you signed up for a year. Um, so you'd get 10% off the 12 million quid you gave me in a day. I, if you did that, I might run away. <laughs> and you might, uh, the world may never hear me being cheerful about the mutants because, frankly, I'll be sipping pina coladas um, off a monoid's back. Uh, in uh, some uh, 
Paradise Island. Sorry about that. Um, so, um, but you know, if you could, if you're the person that's given me the twelve million quid, you can come. You could probably go on your own and not need me, and you've probably got your own monoids anyway. What am I talking about? Patreon. I th- I'm sure I started a sentence that has run away with me. The, the long and the short of it is Patreon dot com forward slash toby hayduck is where there are advanced releases bonus material uh, and uh, you know a few little back and forths between us as well uh and other little trinkets are available um uh on yes on patreon you know how it works um if patrons get other things uh, but it's a fairly egalitarian system so the person that pays three pounds a month gets pretty much the same as the person that gives me a million pounds a month still there isn't that that person isn't there's not that person um but if they were i'm afraid they would still they get a few more things than the three pounds a month person but nothing that's really a deal breaker i think you know everything is available pretty much at the lowest tier bar bar just a couple of little uh, uh little trivial trinkets because uh, i have to has to be some sort of carrot uh and i'm a carrot not a stick kind of guy let's not get into that um you only find out those details if you give me a million pounds a month was it a million a month i'm after yeah that's all so listen uh or look if you don't want to do the co uh, the the patron thing if you don't want to you know be obliged to pay a million pounds every month you can just give me a million pounds on ko-fi.com forward slash toby Haydock. you just throw me a million pounds uh and uh and and you know i don't have to know anything um so however you want to give me your million pounds please feel free but if you don't have a million pounds or less than a million pounds um but would still like to support without any financial outlay which is completely understandable i know that uh, times are tough and that uh, we you know we don't expect to pay for podcasts or be paid for them so that that's fine but what uh, w- what costs you nothing um 0% of a million pounds is to go to itunes or patreon no not at patreon itunes don't go to patreon unless you've got a million pounds or no yeah anyway you can go to itunes uh if you've got no money don't go to patreon go to itunes and uh uh not if you've got no money but if you've just got no money that you want to give me which as i've established is fine um uh just as fine as if you've got a million pounds and you want to give it to me what the hell am i talking about today so listen uh go to this is the longest advert that everyone has died during the running of this this uh this attempt to get you to either give me a, a, a million pounds or or you know gradations thereof um or if there's no money involved you can go to itunes or wherever you get your podcasts and rate these five stars uh, yeah don't knock a star off for the post credit stuff this doesn't count um and also a few lines of review that helps to tickle my algorithms and make them all sexy and podcasts with sexy algorithms get more uh people downloading and listening to them and then it it justifies me essentially doing what i'm doing now which is sitting in a cupboard and talking rubbish at midnight uh, just for you i know aren't you lucky i think that's worth a million pounds and look i'm also a stand-up comedian and you know i've, I've been doing it for 25 years and i've won a few awards i'm obviously i'm not good enough to have earned a million pounds yet however i do run a critically acclaimed comedy club that's been going for 25 years in manchester called excess malarkey an x and s and the word malarkey it has a website excessmalarkey.com it's on twitter at excessmalarkey the live show is every tuesday at 8 p.m at the bridgehead in manchester but we have an online version on the first sunday of every month 8 p.m twitch.tv 
forward slash excess malarkey. Uh, and that's just, uh, you know, you can see me twanging one of the other strings to my bow. Um, but, you know, if you like the sort of stuff I do involving Doctor Who, you might like the stuff I do that doesn't involve Doctor Who at all. Although it sometimes does involve Doctor Who because um, I sort of have a rare form of Tourette's where I, I sort of seem to have to mention Doctor Who, whatever I'm talking about. And tonight, Doctor Who and a million pounds, which are two of my favourite things. Um, so, yeah, come and join us at Excess Monarchy. That actually, the online version, twitch.tv forward slash Excess Monarchy, is free at the point of entry. Uh, we encourage donations, but uh, there's no obligation. And again, you can donate what you want from, from a pound to a million pounds. Uh, right. Thanks. <laughs> I had a million pounds for every time I said a million pounds during this podcast, I would never need to say a million pounds again. I'm, I'm never going to know what a million pounds looks like, am I? But imagine. Uh, I would still wouldn't be any happier. Um, I'd, I'd probably, actually, deep down, be happier if one episode of The Myth Makers came back than if you gave me a million pounds. Pa- would I? Actually. Now, that would be a test of my mettle. If I was on the table, then the devil was there. I don't know why it's the devil. The devil has got a million pounds and he's got episode two of The Myth Makers. Oh. Oh. A single episode's tricky. If we're talking double figures of episodes and a million pounds, then half the missing episodes and a million pounds, then we might be talking... If it was all the missing episodes and a million pounds, I'd take them. I'd, I'd have the complete... Would I? Yes. Yes, I would. Would I? Test me. If you are out there and you have a million pounds and all the missing episodes of Doctor Who, let's talk. I think there's something wrong with me. <laughs>